This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. Another key word. We've been looking at key words over the last several weeks. And uh, the, uh, the word of the night is uh, sanctification, holiness. Um, and what a great song that we sing. And um, if you remember the words to it, that, that really is an essence of what uh, sanctification should be. Sanctification is the idea that we are set apart. Uh, it's, uh, we'll get a, sanctification is the same root word and that we get holiness, to be set apart. Uh, we're set apart by God. And so sanctification carries the idea of us growing in our likeness of Christ. And we think about sanctification, there's the, the idea and the whole message, you could wrap it up in this, it's something that we can do, but it's something we ought to want to do. We can be sanctified because of what Christ has done. And then we should live a life that we are continuously sanctified. And so a great words that we sang, my heart's desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord, ready to do your will. That's sanctification. That we are set apart and our desire is to understand that we're set apart for you, Lord, and that we are ready to do your will. Uh, doing what God would have us to do it, how he wants us to do it, and when he wants us to do it. That is, that is living in God's will. And that is an essence of really this word uh, sanctification. We've got Several passages we're going to look at. Go ahead and turn, find Corinthians and Romans and Philippians and Hebrews and Galatians. Can you do that? All right. First Corinthians first. First Corinthians 6 will be our first verse that we get to. And then we're going to look at Romans. Um, and then we're going to go into Philippians and Galatians. So it's all right there in, in the New Testament. A definition of sanctification is this idea that It is a progressive work of God and man. So it's a a work, it's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in our actual lives. And so it's the idea that, that God has done something, that we are doing something, And as we grow and mature in our faith, there should be some growing and maturing in our faith. We are more and more less like sin and more and more like Christ in the way that we live our life. I've often heard said that the three of the major aspects of of what takes place in our salvation in the Christian life is justification, sanctification, glorification. That's justification when we are saved And and sanctification is kind of growing in our Christian life. And then glorification is when we are reunited with Christ and our soul and our bodies and the the end end product. Well, they overlap. We are justified when we are saved. But at the same time, when we are justified, we are also sanctified. 
And so sanctification continues on, and when we are glorified, we are really sanctified. And so they, they, they overlap. Sanctification overlaps. Let me share some kind of theological things I think are helpful to understand. It's a, it's a differences between justification and this idea of sanctification. Justification is a legal standing that we are declared forgiven and righteous before God through Jesus Christ. We are justified. We are right. Justification is a legal standing. Sanctification is an internal condition. It is something that takes place internally because of what we have in Christ. The justification is once and for all a lifetime. It's a one-time act. Where sanctification, you know, we're justified, we're saved. It's a one-time act. Sanctification is a continuous aspect throughout our lives. So we're, we're continually being sanctified uh, in our relationship with Christ. Justification is God's work. There's no other way around that. We are, we are saved because of God's work. We're saved by, through repentance and faith, but it is God that has saved us through Christ. There's no other way. It is through God that we're saved. Justified, God's work. Sanctification is we cooperate in what God has done. We'll get to that in, in, in a moment. Justification, because of justification, we're declared perfect in this life before God. We are perfect in Christ. But the idea of sanctification, we're never going to reach perfection in this life. But we will reach perfection. Do you know that? That's when sanctification is initially brought to completion when we are in the presence of Christ for all eternity and glorification. Um, justification is the same for all Christians. If you've been just, there's no levels of justification. If you're, if you're saved tonight, you have been justified. Sanctification is greater in some than in others. Does it mean that God is not as sovereign and loving and merciful and righteous? But I think it is obvious that, uh, that sanctification is a process. And I think that it alludes to a lot of what I was kneeling, uh, saying this morning that Billy Graham would say such a thing. Billy Graham, you know, is, uh, as I mentioned this morning, Billy Graham said 75% of church role, he doesn't really know they've been converted. And if anybody would ever not want to say that, you think it'd be Billy Graham who who is so uh, been, uh, I guess, looked at for giving great invitations, for getting a response. And so you ask yourself, well, how, how can you look out and say if we're, if a believer's been justified, then why does not everybody, let me say it, and, and say it this way. If everybody's been saved the same way, then why does it look so different in so many different lives? I think a lot of that has to do with sanctification. If you've never been born again, you're never going to bear fruit worthy of repentance. But I do think that there are believers that are not growing in their faith and they're still very immature in their faith, if they have faith at all. And so there's levels of sanctification based on what we're willing to do with what God has given us. I've got a lot of little notes I'd like to share as I've been reading and studying and a lot of, a lot of good stuff. So I'll talk quick. I don't have notes because it just is hard to do. It's hard to pass out notes and make copies for everybody three ways I want us to look at this I guess you could say uh, stages of sanctification look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 1 Corinthians 6 11 
Sanctification has a definite beginning at regeneration. There's a beginning to sanctification at regeneration. There's been a definite moral change occurs in our lives at the point of regeneration. This is the beginning of sanctification. There should be a moral change in anyone that has been dead that is now alive. There should be a sense of you have been sanctified and set apart because who is abiding within you? Here's a test. If we were dead and we were dead in our trespass to sin and we were unconverted and an unbeliever, once we are born again, who abides with us? The Spirit abides with us. So with the Spirit within us, there's going to be an immediate change that takes place in our life. Not just an an emotional change, but there should be a a moral change that begins to take place in our life because we have the Holy Spirit abiding within us. The Bible speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And for the sake of time, I won't read ahead. You can do that. He's talking about uh, the, the, the wrongness of the world and the things that we live in. Talking about who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice what it says, verse 11. Now, let me, I'm on, I do want to read that. Let me verse it up to 9. It, it goes, it goes ac- along with what I said this morning about why we need to be a witness. Why people need to know who we are and what we believe. The world is lost, and the only thing that is going to help them change is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only remedy for sin is the gospel. And we as a church look out there, and we get so frustrated at lostness and sin, and we forget that we have the only hope, and that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. doesn't matter how good you are or how moral you are or what a good person you are. If you've never been born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. That is a, one of those things that when I hear about, you know, uh, somebody, let me just say this. I'm a Christian and I'm sexually immoral and I have peace with God about it. That doesn't make sense, does it? I'm a Christian and I'm an idolater and I have peace with God over it. I'm a Christian and I practice homosexuality and I have peace with God about it. I'm a thief and I have peace with God over it. I live a life of greed, and I'm, I'm okay with it. God's okay with it. I live a life as a drunkard, and you know what? God's okay with it. I'm a reviler. I'm a swindler. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we say it that way. It sounds a little different, doesn't it? And see, the world is saying that I have, I'm okay with this. Well, naturally, a drunk is okay with being a drunkard. I mean, naturally, a thief is okay with being a thief. and Naturally, the wicked heart is okay with these things. And notice verse 11. And such were some of you. But you, notice what it says, but you were washed. What does that word signify? John the Baptist was washing in the, what did that represent? Forgiveness, repentance. You were washed. Your sins were forgiven. You were sanctified. 
You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul speaks of a, of a starting point, and here's something we need to understand. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are verses 9 and 10. Not all of us practice the same thing, but apart from Christ, that's who we were. That's what makes the gospel so wonderful. That's why being born again should grieve, bring within us a sense of grace and humility, not pride and arrogance, because apart from Christ, we were verses 9, 10, and 11. And such were some of you. So there's a, a definite beginning at regeneration, that once we are born again, there's a process and a, and a development of uh, sanctification. Turn to Romans 6, and there's several verses I want us to consider, or several uh, in chapter 6, Romans 6, we'll look at several verses here. It leads us to our second aspect of it. Sanctification increases throughout our life. There's a, a progression of holiness and righteousness, less sin and more Jesus. Now, I really make things simple. Like I said, I'm not a journaler. I, I'm, I write. I'm a doodler, I guess. What is I don't write long, flowing sentences in my devotional life. I just write things, you know. One of the things I, I've written and I write in different forms, less sin, more Jesus. Less John, more Jesus. You know, I'm not perfect, but I want to put some distance between the imperfections. Does that make sense? You know, we always say, well, let's just deal with it. That's just me. Well, yes, that's just you. How about less of you and more Jesus? So I, I want to, I as, as I live my life, I want less of John and more Jesus. I want to put some distance between, you know, I, I had a guy, a faithful church member, and he was very impatient. And uh, he, he would just, he could come into a room, make everybody mad in a matter of seconds. He had a spiritual gift of that. And he used to tell me, he was over building and grounds. There's something about building and grounds people they are hard to get along with sometimes. Uh, see if you're awake over there. I know your brother's not. Uh, so we would have work days, and he was building and grounds, so we'd have one big work day and 30 people show up. Next work day, nobody would be there. He goes, I don't know why people don't come. I said, because you make them mad. They come in here and you start bossing him around. Well, that's just the way God made me. I said, well, that made me. And I, I just, one of these thoughts just off the top of my head, I didn't really think about it. I said, well, that may be the way God made you, but that isn't the way he wants you to live. You need to, he said, well, that's just the way I am. He said, I said, well, you need to lean on Jesus a little more. There's no excuse for doing anything you know is not right. You can't just say, I'm just born that way. We're all born dead. Just lean on Jesus a little bit more. Be a little bit more patient. So it increases in our life. Look at Romans chapter 6. We'll begin there in verse 10, and I'm going to read several passages. Look at Romans 6, verse 10. For the death that he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. This is dead to alive, alive to God and dead to sin. For you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God, in Christ Jesus, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as God, 
as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you. We'll get back to verse 14. You are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but by grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And we're going to come back to that in different points. So we see that sanctification has a beginning. We also see that sanctification increases. Even though the New Testament speaks about a definite beginning to sanctification, it always sees it as a process that continues throughout our Christian life. The Word says that we used to yield to more and more sin in our old lives. We should now yield ourselves to more and more righteousness for sanctification. I think as we grow as a believer, our habits should change, our patterns should change, our way of life should change. We shouldn't do the same things that the lost world do. We shouldn't do the same things we used to do. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy the certain things that we did as a lost person, but I think if we're living the lost person life as a Christian, our desires should change. You know, I look at church that way. A lost person is not going to have any desire to come to church. Imagine getting a lost person. You know, it's kind of like Salvation Army. You're ringing the bell. And of course, I, I feel terrible. I never have cash on me anymore. I need to just start keeping quarters in my pocket at Christmas time. Because then I walk by and I, <laughs> debit card, you know. But, you know, you, you sit there and, you know, you, you think about people that walk past there and they don't give. They, uh, I don't expect a lost person to have any desire to do what we do on Sunday morning. They're not going to get it. It's not catered to them. How can a lost person worship God? Can they? Now, we invite lost people to join us, and we hope that through them seeing what we're doing, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. So what is the opposite of that statement? If I, I don't think a lost person, I don't, I don't care that a lost person is never going to just want to come to church. But how about a saved person? You know how frustrating it is as a pastor to try to convince someone that's saved to come to church? Or a saved person to give? Or a saved person to serve? Or a saved person just to act like they love Jesus? You know how frustrating that is? At the end of the day, what do you think the pastor must finally just realize? Maybe they're not saved. Because a saved person that has been a Christian for many years, you think about it biblically, if I've been a believer for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and I have no desire in my life to do anything that a good moral lost person wouldn't want to do, you hear that? A good moral lost person knows right and wrong. So if I've been a Christian 20 or 30 years and my life just looks like a good moral lost person, what am I to think? I know what Scripture says, that a believer should say no to sin and yes to Jesus, and there should be some progression in their life. And I think it's a good way that we evaluate the friends and our families because if there's no spiritual growth there, there's, there's only two options. They're either being disobedient or they're lost. And either way, they need to repent and begin to live for Christ because sanctification should increase throughout 
our life. The third and glorious stage of sanctification is this idea that it is completed at death for our souls. Let me read that again. Sanctification is completed at death for our souls and then when the Lord returns for our bodies. What happens the moment that we pass away? Where do we go? We go to nap room and night-night play, soul sleep? No, we don't do that. Do we just kind of lay around and wait for the second coming? No, we don't do that. Where do we go? And immediately our soul goes in the presence of the Lord. And so there's a, an aspect of sanctification with our soul. And then when the Lord returns at his second coming and the dead in Christ shall rise, there's a, a sanctification of our body, is our body. Now, I have already figured this out. I am not going to have an old body. I'm going to be a young body guy. No aches and pains. See, you laugh. You know you're in your 50s too, young lady. That's where that laugh came from. You get it. You older, older folks couldn't laugh because you're hurting too bad. You don't have no strength to laugh out loud. We're going to have young bodies running around heaven, chasing each other and glorifying Jesus' name. That is total sanctification. And that will come toward the end. Go back to Romans. Look at Romans 14, 6, 14. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Here's the key to remember. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. Again, there's no completion now. We never get to a point... I've joined the church. I've followed through with baptism. I've joined the Sunday school. I've read the Bible through this year. I've been praying for a long time. I've been on mission trips. I give all the mission offerings. Whoo, I'm finally there. No, we, we do these things to help us continue to grow. My prayer that as I never get tired of growing, that I'm always excited about growing in my knowledge and faith. I heard a pastor say this one time. And he heard it from another pastor who heard it from another pastor that the greatest years of your pastoral ministry are from the age 50 to you retire. I've been waiting on 50. All, when, I heard, when I heard that years ago, I thought 50. A lot of truth to that. I think we grow and we mature and I think we get to a certain point and we look back and we look at this and we look at that and we realize that I look in my life, so many mistakes as a believer, but I rejoice in God's patience and faithfulness. And I think as we grow a little older, we realize the faithfulness and the preciousness of Christ and our salvation and we get in a sense of excitement that we know that God is good and we're not quite there yet and there's this idea that we are moving on. Paul speaks of sin not having dominion or having dominion over us and that we would never sin. 1 John 1.8, you're familiar with that passage of Scripture. If we think that we never will sin or we have arrived, we think not. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're never there yet. No matter how old we are, we are excited about our daily time in the word and our daily prayer and our daily serving and doing the things that we need to do.
Let's shift gears a little bit. God has a part. Man has a part in this process. Sanctification is just me saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. Sanctification is me growing in my knowledge and understanding of the thing to the Lord. Sanctification is me becoming more like Christ each and every day of my life. God has a part in that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. So may God sanctify you. May God set you apart. May God do this work. We know from Hebrews 12, you're familiar with that section, it talks about the discipline of the Lord so that we might be holy, that that God is doing his part and the Spirit and the Father, the Son, God is doing his part to make us more righteous and more holy and more sanctified. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to come back there. It is God who works in you. So when you think about that, we sang about, I wrote it down, my, de- my heart's desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord, ready to do your will. It's, there's always two groups, and there's always two groups, like the extremes, I call it. One group, doesn't they think they cannot. It's not a negative thing, they just, they don't have the confidence, they I can't do this. I don't have the strength to do it. I I can never overcome. I'm never going to get this. Something as simple as, and we all struggle with it. I I just, I try to read the Bible. I just, I just can't. I, I try to pray. I can't. I'm trying to do these things and I can't. And I would say, yes, you can. Because it is God in you. You can do it. God wants to do it through you. So you you have the confidence that you need. You can do it. You're a child of God. You can do it. And then the other extreme would be those that just don't want to do it. They're not, I'm not doing it. Yes, you can. And yes, you should. Because that is God's will for your life. But God is working through us in sanctification. Galatians 5. Stay right there in Philippians. We'll come back to it. Galatians 5. We talk about the the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit-filled life. Why do we even say that if God's not able to do that? Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, where does the Spirit abide? Within us. Go back to my friend. I can't say his name. Go back to my friend. He had a patience problem. Whose fault is that? His patience problem would be like I say, that's a you problem. Because you got the spirit within you, and the spirit is there 
And if you yield to the Spirit and you love the Spirit and you're following the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits, it's the fruit. Love, peace, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in us because of who He is. We can't do that on our own. No matter how much we want to, it is the work of God within us. God has a part. It is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of the Spirit that helps us grow in sanctification. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us in sanctification in our desires. Look at verse 16 of Galatians 5. But I say walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, it's God's responsibility. What God will do is keep us there and we will not gratify if we walk. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So if the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, then we need to hang out in the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit and tap in the Spirit. And and the things that we do, we'll get to the do's and do nots in a moment. When we're doing what we need to do and we walk in the Spirit, we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. And we're going to be holy and righteous and we're going to grow. Our role in sanctification. We know God's done his part. Here's our role. There's two ways that we understand our responsibility. We have both a passive and an active responsibility in sanctification that we should be aware of. If we neglect our active role, there's a danger of becoming passive, lazy Christians. If we neglect our passive role, there's a danger of becoming overly proud or confident in ourselves. So this this is what that means. God has done his part. I must do our part. The first thing I must do is yield myself to God. It's, it's passive. I receive it. Look, go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. 13, I'm sorry. Romans 6, 13. Do not present your members to sin as righteousness, Instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. So here's the the passive. Here's what we do and receive something. Here I am. So all we're doing is we're presenting. We're not doing anything but just saying, Lord, I'm here. And so you could see why that's important. We have to yield ourselves to God. There has to be this desire that we say, here I am. But there's more to it than that. That we yield ourselves to God. Look at Romans 12.1. That you present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. I appear to you brothers by the mercy of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual act of worship. All that says is we are making ourselves available. We're dependent upon the Lord and the Holy Spirit to put the, the deeds, uh, the things of the body. So we're just saying, but there's more to it than that. We can't just say, here I am. I'm yielding. I don't need to do anything else. I'm just, I don't need anything. I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. I don't need prayer. I don't need anything. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to yield myself to the Lord. Well, that's not healthy. There again, that's a balance. It's extremes. But we do need to yield ourselves to the Lord and make ourselves available. And it's almost like a decision that we make with our, with our heart. Here I am. Use me. 
I'm here for you. But the active role is what is so important. Romans 8, 13, and just so you'll know, on Wednesday nights, we're going to be going chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. We were finishing up Galatians, and I asked, is there a particular thing you'd like to go through? And we decided, someone said Romans. So the first one that spoke got it. So we're going through Romans on Wednesday night. Romans is good stuff. It's all good stuff because it's all God's word, right? Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the active part. I'm going to put to death this. So there's this idea that I'm presenting my body, but there's also this idea that I have to do something. Go back to Philippians. You don't forgot about that, hadn't you? Philippians chapter 2. And then I'm going to read some stuff to you. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is not the idea of working out to be saved. Oh, I've lost it. Let me get it. I've lost it. I'll get it. It's cultivating that which is already in there. It's like having a, a field that you've planted and you're cultivating. You're cultivating. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm working out my salvation in fear and trembling. Verse 13. <coughs> for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling because as God is within me, that is going to enable me to do it. That is my responsibility. Christianity is an active sport. It is a participation sport. We can get off the bench and join God and serve him. It's not just something that we passively listen to. I've had people even tell me, Pastor, I don't do anything. I just come and listen to preaching. That's just passive sitting there. Yes, that's important, but we're missing it. He wants us involved with what he is doing and serve him. When Paul says that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, he is speaking of sanctification and not salvation by merit. He is teaching us that by our obedience to God, they will further realize the benefits of salvation in their Christian life. The first 13 says we can expect this. Why? Because it is God that is working within us. I want to read a couple of things out of Packer's book and we'll close with this. Sanctification is not completed this side of heaven. But there's dangers. We're never going to reach a perfect aspect of sanctification. Sometimes we wait on experience. I'm just waiting on experience. Just I'm waiting on this experience, an encounter with God. And then the, another extreme is we just work and we work and we work and we work and we put rules up and legalistic. If you love Jesus, you read the Bible so many times a day. If you love Jesus, you dress a certain way, you act a certain way, you look a certain way, you do certain things. And so we're trying to work our way to God. You've got the experienced people and then you've got the working people. We've got to find a balance. If we're waiting on an experience to make us feel close to the Lord, we're going to be disappointed a lot. If we're trying to work our way to to please the Lord, we're never going to work hard enough or do enough that we think we're pleasing God. 
we think about holiness, it's not a feeling or an experience, but a kind of living in which the character of the Father and the Son is mirrored in one's outlook and conduct. That's a, from J.I. Packer's book. There is, a, there is the do's and the do's nots. I just made up a word. The do and the do nots. There's a lot of do nots. You know, when, when we get in trouble, well, we don't, what was that somebody asked me? We were at a, every time I'm at a wedding, every time I'm at a wedding, somebody will look at me and go, are you going to dance with Emily? Oh, you probably don't dance in your fellowship hall. Well, I don't know. I've never really talked to Emily about this. I'm not a dancer. I don't, do you want me to dance with you? See, we're good. You wouldn't dance with your daughter? I'm just, I'm not a dancer. I don't know. I mean, Brantley danced at his wedding. I thought it was great. He got out there. I mean, I just, I'm not a dancer. I don't know, you know, I'm just saying. Well, Baptists don't dance in the fellowship hall, do we? And we don't play cards, do we? You get old, you do, but you somehow justify it when you're old. I don't know. (laughs) We got a lot of do's and don'ts. We don't do that. Well, why don't we? I mean, I don't mind. I'm a rule follower. The Marine Corps taught me that. I can follow rules. We don't do that. Well, why don't we? Is it because the Bible says we don't, or is it just something we say that we don't? Because a lot of our rules are depicting what holiness is. We have to do things. But yet there are some do's and do nots. For the sake of time, I'm going to say these out loud. You can write them down. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. you know the point? Come out from amongst them. There are some do nots. Don't do any don't have anything to do with them unless you're in there to change them. And there's a balance there. We need to come out from the world. You know, you don't know the struggles I have as a pastor. You know how many invitations I get to do things in our community for the sake of God? Can we all just get along and can we all just be unified? I'm saying that sarcastically because it, let's just all be unified. Okay, we're going to have uni, Unify Sunday somewhere. I'm going to be part of the program. So I'm part of the program, and I represent the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, specifically First Baptist Church of Avon Park, and I stand up and talk about what it means to be one in Christ and this, that, and the other, and then the next person's a, a Wiccan priest and a Muslim prophet. Well, we all got along. We don't want to say somebody's wrong and somebody's right in our society, do we? What would y'all feel, how would you feel about my integrity and character as your pastor if I did that? Now, sometimes you have to say, okay, what are we doing under the, under the banner of God? So sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions because you just, you cannot. When it comes to the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and under the umbrella of Christianity, it has to be biblical Christianity. Read the Old Testament. How does God deal with untruthfulness in the Old Testament? What does God do with paganism in the Old Testament? How does God treat that in the Old Testament? Okay, God hasn't changed. He's a little bit more patient than he used to be or however you want to look at that. But there are just times you have to look out there and say, you know what, I I can't do that and I won't do that. But then there's the do's. 
you could call it the positive side of holiness. There's a negative side. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I remember raising the kids. I, I remember raising the kids when they were little. We started little. They didn't understand it, but we started little. We were not perfect parents, but they would tell you. We just said, we don't do that. It's kind of a family joke now with Sharon. We don't do that. And we would just tell them, we don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because it doesn't glorify and honor Jesus. That's why we don't. We don't do that. We don't do that. Why don't we do it? We don't do it for this reason. We don't do these things. There's many things we should not do. I remember thinking one time, would I do this? I remember being a, a true John story. I was at a convenience store buying something I wasn't supposed to buy. With a fake ID, you fill in the blank. Small town, Sunday school teacher I had walked in. What do you think I did? What do you think I did? I went around like I was buying a loaf of bread or something. And I remember walking back to the car and going, you didn't get the beer. Well, so-and-so walked in. And I remember sitting down in that seat as a believer, as as a disobedient believer saying, Well, Jesus saw me before he even walked in. So the next time you're questioning whether or not you need to do something, if you're an adult five, imagine Lawler's there with you. (laughs) Lawler's got big, long fingers and hands. He's shaking his hand at you. If you're an adult one, there's Randy just sitting there looking at you going, what are you going to do now? Jesus is with you. And so there's nothing wrong with saying there are just certain things you don't do. But there's a lot of do's. The positive side of holiness is the maintaining. I love the way he said this. The positive side of holiness is the maintaining of loyalty to God. Isn't that a great word? I'm maintaining a loyalty to God and to the living of a life which shows forth to others the qualities of faithfulness, gentleness, goodwill, kindness, forbearance, uprightness. On the model of God's own display of these qualities in his gracious dealings with us. I do what I do because I want to maintain loyalty to God. I want to hear from God. I want to walk in the Spirit. There are many do's. One of my favorite book of do's is just really written, The Spiritual Discipline of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. And I usually always try to keep that available out in our little book cart. They just list the things that a good Christian ought to be doing. You know I love sports. Sports is is something I just enjoy doing. I don't apologize. I, I try to keep it in perspective. But you think about the practical things about it, you know. You get a freshman come out there, and they're gonna, they want to. They come to Coach Jackson. They're going to be the next greatest Division One player out of Avon Park, and they they walk up there and they say, "I want to be a football player." And Coach Jackson goes, "Okay, here's the calendar. Here are the days that we meet. Here's what we need to do. We have conditioning. We have running. There's the weight room." There's what you need to be doing. You need to eat right. You need to sleep right. You need to treat the teachers right. You need to have your grades right. You need to work out right. You need to run right. Well, you know what? I don't want to be a football player after all. Now, it's kind of a silly example, but it's like I'm a Christian. And I want to be the best, most faithful, loyal follower of Christ I can be. 
There's your Bible. There are your knees for prayer. Here's your church body. There's a world that we need to witness to. Here are others that you can serve and model the love of Christ to. Here are the things that you need to stay away from. Here are the things that you need to do. They're grace gifts, I like to call them. They're things that God has given us that enables us, that are instruments that allow us to draw closer to Him and experience Him in a way. Isn't it frustrating when you're really close to the things of the Lord and you try to explain it to somebody else and they just don't get it? And you don't understand why they don't get it? Those are the people that are in the Word and in prayer and in the things that they know that they need to be in. When we think about sanctification, there's something we'll close with this. You're never going to grow in your relationship with the Lord unless you know that you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ. You need to have the assurance that there's a point in a time that you have repented of your sin, that you have placed your faith in Christ. You need to be part of a local church. I think you need to be identified as a believer by baptism by immersion. You may say, well, I've never been baptized by immersion. I'm okay. I get it. There's just something about standing up before the body of Christ and what that means to follow the example of Christ in baptism by immersion. You love his word. You love one another, you love worship, you love prayer, you love serving, you love giving, you love doing all the things that he has given us and enables us to draw closer to him. And here's the sad part. He's done his part. He's provided everything that we need. And yet in his sovereignty and his providence, he has given us the things at our disposal so that we may draw closer to him. Sanctification is saying no to sin more and more and more and yes to Jesus and living more and more and more like him. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of our salvation, which includes sanctification. And I pray that even as we close tonight, that we say the words that we truly mean. Take my life and let it be consecrated unto you. Lord, I pray tonight that you would show us with the spirit within us a deeper love for your word, not just to read it, but to prayerfully read it and meditate on it and to cherish it. Let us love our prayer time, our our witnessing, our serving. Let us love the things that you love so that we can love you even more. And this we pray in Christ's name, amen.